What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Food Truck Scholar Podcast. I'm your host, Ariel D. Smith, and I appreciate you for choosing to kick it with me for yet another episode. Make sure you share your thoughts on today's episode on social media using the hashtag TFTSPodcast. This week, we bring you part two of my interview with DeAndre Zachary, owner of Raging Cajun Food Truck in Shreveport, Louisiana. Last week, we discussed the challenges that the COVID-19 pandemic had thrown their way as a food truck. But today, we talk about how in the midst of losing thousands in revenue, Raging Cajun and other food trucks are stepping up to feed children and first responders for free. DeAndre also shared with us changes he anticipates in our economy post-pandemic and how Raging Cajun is preparing for those changes right now. So sit back and relax. Part two starts now. You've shared a lot of insight about a lot of the downsides that has happened because of COVID-19 and the food truck industry. And a lot of them I didn't know about or didn't think about. And then a lot of them I had been um, thinking about because I've been talking to a lot of different food truck owners and restaurateurs. But I not only asked you to come on the, come back on the show for that reason, the main reason why I asked you to come back on the show was because I wanted to know about food truck owners and food truckers who were really coming together to serve during this time because we're talking about a lot of loss and about the you know the decimation of many different industries because of COVID-19 but we're also seeing a lot of kindness and a lot of compassion and a lot of community um, coming together during COVID-19 and so I put out a post on Instagram not too long ago just trying to connect with a lot of food truck owners that were um, serving first responders and health professionals and of course you inbox me and say you know we doing this you already know and so (laughs) 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 I kind of tried to read it in your voice when I first saw it and I chuckled a little bit and I smiled I'm like if anybody was going to be doing it, it would be DeAndre. So can you talk to us a little bit about that and what's going on? Happily, happily. So, yeah, when I inbox you, though we, we haven't met, and sometimes you don't have to personally meet someone to have that connection, and, you know, that's what that was. I'm glad to hear that you read it in my voice because that, that was the intent. I wanted you to know that from the essence of my being, that that's what I'm about is giving to others and helping my my fellow man so when i made that statement that that's where that that was from that you know yeah that that's me that's me so back to those cancellations happening and what have you covid-19 is amongst us so i'm you know i monitor social media and as i'm going down my timeline as these events are occurring i'm getting a theme from different friends the same conversation are talking about because of COVID-19 and the schools are shutting down that they kids ain't going to eat. Now I, I have been blessed. I'm fortunate. And I, I know that. And so sometimes other people issues aren't my issues and I can't relate to them. And I, you know, I understand that. So as I, you know, kept seeing people talk about, well, what about the kids? You know, school is out, you know, and I, so when, when I heard school was out, all I was thinking was like, God, dog, I got a 14-year-old son who's bigger than me, who eats everything, and <laughs> two things. 
I got to feed this joker for why he all this time he out of school, but I got an employee now because I won't put him to work while he on however long this hiatus from school lasts. He got to work. So he's going to earn his food, whatever he eats, he's going to earn it because he's going to be working on the truck. So that kind of balances itself out. So once I work my issue out, which that was my issue, I'm good, I thought. But as I said, back to what was going on on my timeline. Kept hearing parents talking about, you know, child care and nutrition was an issue on my timeline. And I kept seeing it. So I'm looking for solutions. And I'm like, wow, I didn't know that this was a real issue for people, that people were really depending upon the school nutrition program to feed kids. Well, I can go back to my banking days, and we did a program through my financial institution. Uh, We were a little different of a type of financial institution. We had a mission uh, helping low-income people. So anyway, we had done some research on food deserts in America and what have you, and so I knew the nutritional statistical information about food deserts and poverty and how that relates to communities and what have you. So I could use that data that I had already collected from the end as I'm applying it to my timeline, a light went off. I'm like, okay, that's what I read about. And now it's true. Look, I know some of these people that, you know, are within the food desert that are, you know, depending on school nutrition and what have you. So what we did is, and I won't take credit for the idea at all. uh, I'm a spiritual man. And the one thing I have done is uh, humble myself and to allow myself to be guided by the Lord. So the Lord put it on my spirit to just, and this is, you know, I don't know, have to look at that post, but I think it, I know it was after midnight because that's when I work that I made a post on social media. I've got a list of friends that says about 3,500 Facebook friends. I'm like, you know, maybe these people will help me. I want to do something. Times are uncertain for me because at this point, like I said, I hadn't sold a lunch plate or anything. So I didn't know, you know, if I would make a dollar in March because all my events are canceled. So I don't, I, I want to help. I don't want, you know, I've got a responsibility to my family, to my employees, So I don't want to overextend myself, but I see that there's a need out in the community and I want to help with. I'll put some of my money up, but we just don't know what tomorrow's going to bring or what have you. I'm, you know, just a little reluctant to make sure I got to be able to maintain what I need to maintain. So I created a fundraiser on Facebook, like I said, about one o'clock in the morning and put it up and told the story that, you know, I'm just following the Lord's guidance. If you you know, want to help, it'll be greatly appreciated. What we plan to do is to set up and to feed. We have parishes here in Louisiana. Uh, I'm sure you know everybody else has counties, yeah. but we have parishes. So uh, and my parish that I reside in is called Cattle Parish. It's actually the largest parish in the state. So I wanted to feed kids that were in need during this school break for COVID-19. And I was just going to, you know, do as much feeding as my pockets would allow. Hopefully some of my Facebook friends would contribute to the cause. And we put the fundraiser up within the first four or five hours of the fundraiser. We had raised like $500. I was amazed and $500 may not, you know, sound like a lot, but it set me, it, it just took me back because these were people who were giving 
because I asked them to, and I don't ask people that I don't, I haven't had to ask many or any people for, for much of anything in my lifetime. I have always been the one in the equation being asked for something or giving. And I don't take that for granted. I, there are two positions in that equation. And I've been on the, I, what I would consider the more fortunate side of that, the, the giver rather than the re- recipient. And I praise God for that. So the fact that people trusted me, my word that I, what I put out there and that they put their hard earned dollars in my hand and entrusted that I was going to do what I told them I was going to do with it. And we were going to carry out this mission. It meant a lot to me, that part. And it meant even more once I was able to go to the store with those funds and, and buy food and see the smiles on the kids' faces as at that time they were still able to come to the truck, to the window, and pick up a, a, a free plate of hot food, full dinner, nutritious, that some wouldn't otherwise have gotten. To see those faces, that brought a smile to my heart. And I thank everybody who contributed over the uh, as I said, in the, the first couple of hours, we, we raised 500. People are still giving to this day to that fundraiser. We're at about $1,300 that we've raised. It only shows about seven on Facebook because uh, a lot of people didn't give through the Facebook app. They contacted me personally and cash at me their contribution rather than do it through Facebook or what have you. We're grateful None of that's for us, as I told them on the post, that none of the money will be used to do anything other than feed. I'm not I'm not paying anybody with this money. I'm going to pay my staff myself. All of these funds are going to go toward buying food for kids in need. And that's what we, to date, we, we have fed about 600 kids through the program. And what's got me most excited about is that it's not being the originator. I was the first food truck that I saw do it. Okay. It doesn't mean I was the first. I didn't see any other food truck doing it. And I didn't think of the idea. I said, God put it on my heart. I just, I was just obedient. But what I did see after I started doing it, I've got food trucks in Arizona, the state of Washington, actually in your state in Indiana, uh, Atlanta, Georgia, Charlotte, North Carolina, mm-hmm. Miami, Florida, and probably other, but those are just food trucks that I'm in association with that I see are doing the same things. They're feeding kids. So food trucks have, have definitely stepped up and answered the call. You know, whether they saw me started off or what, what whatever the, their inspiration was, however we, we all got to the same point, it doesn't matter, but we are here and we're feeding children. Now, it started out with kids. So about a week ago, as you know, I've got a lot of friends that are in the medical community, nurses, what have you, and listening to them and what they're doing, I thought, wow, I sent some messages to some personal friends just thanking them for what they're doing, their commitment. And I, I, I don't use this term lightly. I refer to them as heroes because I think that they are. I know that they are. In my eyes, they are heroes. They are stepping up uh, in, a, in, in the time of, of need of, of our country. 
So they are heroes. So what I wanted to do is, let's see, how can we help them? I made a a post on social media just thanking them. That's one way, you know, okay, but how can we really make an impact on our medical community, our first responders? All right, so what we did is, uh, and I'll share with you two stories, because uh, actually we just did one today, but what we did is uh, for a week, what we wanted to do is to bring some food. We know they got to eat, they're working long hours. All right, uh, so I did a promotion where a buy one, get one free promotion for any first responder, medical medical personnel, hospital personnel. Uh, all you got to do is identify yourself, badge, uniform, whatever, and you buy an item, you get an, an entree free. So that was hopefully to, you know, you got a coworker. Look, rather costing you and your coworker, whatever y'all might spend for lunch, we're going to split that in half. So, you know, basically $5 lunches for healthcare workers, first responders, and what have you. And then today, and that's why when when you were asking me about the time uh, to do this interview, what we did down in central Louisiana is we went to a hospital, myself and another food truck, and we set up, We of course, we advertised to them, uh, to the first responders and to the medical personnel. And this time we just did a free feeding. We did a free lunch feeding. Uh, we fed about 430. Actually, they're still feeding. I, I, I left because my food was sold out. I was uh, had given all mine away, but they're still giving for another shift uh, of the hospital, but uh, I'm not there any longer. But at the time that I had left, we had done about 430 meals, free meals uh, for, for staff, for first responders and the staff. And all of that is made possible. Some of it comes from the food truck, from, from individual food truck owners, but the primary of those donations were from customers, food truck customers who want to support their local food truck, and they see what we're doing, and they're behind it. And that's great. That, that's, that warms my heart that, again, that people are entrusting us. They see the need. They see that uh, where our heart is, and... They're, they're getting, I mean, because you can make a contribution to, you know, they've got, I'm sure, foundations for COVID-19 at this point and, and what have you. And, you know, I, I contribute donations to uh, different organizations, you know, as many of us do. But sometimes, you know, you we question, is that donation paying the electric bill for the organization? Whereas these donations are 100% touching the people that you want to touch. And that's the great thing that, you know, we don't, you know, as I said, I'm not trying to pay a food truck note. I'm not trying to pay employees with these donations. These donations are going straight for food that's going directly into the bellies of the people. So your dollars, those people, anyone who contributed, who helped us to, to, to uh, feed the first responders or our children, all of those donations, all those contributions actually touched who you who you intended for them to touch and that's beautiful we we really appreciate the the sacrifices of the first responders they're putting themselves in harm's way that you know here we've got about 15 officers first responders that have tested positive thus far for COVID-19 because they're out there on the front lines and you know there are no days off for them and uh, so, we, you know, we pray for the ones that have been affected and have been diagnosed and that they they get healed. But 
we definitely appreciate the service of, of the mall and their sacrifice does not go unnoticed. You know, first of all, you're absolutely right, is that if anything, what this season has taught is that there are so many people who are essential workers that have long been gone undervalued and underappreciated. And so what I'm hoping for is that those in the restaurant industry, in the food service industry, in the food truck industry, in the school industry, in the healthcare professions, um, your grocery store workers, like all of those people. And 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 there's more industries too, uh, forgive me for not including them all, but those are the ones that's like right there on the forefront of my mind right now that we have to remember that we have to not just remember them, but advocate that they are valued for what they are worth. Because right now, that is what our nation exactly. is relying heavily upon right now. Are the people that are providing us or, you know, with resources to sustain ourselves if we get sick from the hospital to those who are feeding us. We still have teachers that from their homes are educating young people. Like I talked to one of my best friends, like my best, best friend, and you know, she's in her home teaching her students, you know, making sure that they have their resources. I have my other best friend. Um, he's worked for a nonprofit and they're doing work to make sure that people in Nashville are sustained. And it takes a lot of work. And like we should never forget this moment and we should never forget the people that's on the front line daily you know, to, to keep us afloat and, you know, serving us and protecting us and, you know, doing, you know, sacrificing themselves and their families to make this work. I pray that after this is all over, when given the opportunity that Congress will go ahead and vote to increase the minimum wage, that doesn't affect me. Uh, and I advocate for many of things that have little to no effect on me directly, but, uh, it does have impact on people that I care about, that I love, people that I don't know, and, and that, that's fine. Uh, we really need to increase the minimum wage. And the people right now <laughs> that we are depending upon are the same people that we didn't, you know, think, or not we, us, but, you know, that... We as a community and as a society. Right. Didn't, didn't, didn't feel that they, you know, should earn $15 an hour. But now our country is dependent upon those same individuals, so... Uh, by all means, as I say, you know, when this is over, prayerfully, that's one another something else that will come of this that we will do. Absolutely. So many people right now, you know, I'm looking at the the jobless claim. Just you know, in a two week span, what I saw was 6.6 million Americans file for unemployment, mm-hmm. and. I saw some, and this is something that I have known just from, as I said, from my financial uh, services background. But now, it, you know, kind of, it's at the fourth where, as Americans, we we were weren't taught to save, and we don't have a habit of saving. And so now, some eighty five percent, eighty percent of our country is was living paycheck to paycheck, and a lot of people were one, two checks away from being what we call under the bridge. Some of them are at that reality now or, you know, are coming, you know, that reality is or facing that reality. And that's scary uh, that, you know, and for years in 
in banking, I preached and lectured on savings, the importance of savings, paying yourself first. And this is a, definitely a lesson from this COVID-19 experience is that we have to pay ourselves first. We've got to save for a rainy day because without that, you know, as I said, there are some people that are going to lose, I, you know, and I don't want to talk people business, but I've got a someone who I know who they were already having financial issues and this just uh, exacerbated their their issues. And only due to the, the government stating that, you know, no foreclosures could, could occur, but those things are coming down the line. We, you know, we've got companies, we're going to lose some companies, some large companies here in the United States, which, you know, as companies go away, those are jobs that go away. Those are in, you know, income for uh, people in our communities. So though we are experiencing COVID-19 right now, as it is, unfortunately the financial impact of COVID-19 will last with us for probably years to come. It's changed, and I do believe it will continue to change, our business models. You know, I keep sitting here and I'm thinking a lot of brick and mortars took a hit. But the ones that I was thinking about that I would love just to, you know, talk to them. Because I, I don't think they probably took a hit, but not as hard. I'm thinking about brick and mortars that were already curbside pickup and drive through, like checkers or rallies or well, look, uh, Sonic. You, Logan's. Are you familiar with Logan's Roadhouse? Absolutely. You know that they closed, right? Go, like gone, gone. Like I can't get my rolls. Like you can't, you can't walk on them peanuts in the flow no more because they, they. They put that they had laid their employees off. So all of their issues, of course, didn't start with COVID-19, but they were already in some financial trouble prior to. And COVID-19 was a death blow. And so what I'm saying is there are some other companies that were already, you know, and some large, some small, that were already in trouble prior to COVID-19. And COVID, they and they can't withstand, you know, the blunt of of COVID nineteen. What they're so with with uh, Logan's, as I said, they had placed their employees on, they furloughed, they had furloughed their employees, but you know, and actually they knew they were closing, but they told the employees that they were that they were just being laid off, and then they informed them after telling them they were laid off that they were closing. But yeah, they actually closed all of their doors on all of their stores all of their locations, which, you know, that's, that's crazy. You know, as a business owner, you know, that's scary because <laughs> to me, you know, Logan's, you know, I see them everywhere. I, you know, from city, you know, obviously they've got money. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, wow. Like that shut them down. Like I'm thinking about it cause I haven't really been able to go out much because, you know, they said stay at home. So I'm trying to flatten this curve and order online locally whenever I can. So I really haven't been out that way. It's about 20-ish minutes from where I live. So I hadn't been able to go over there. Now, there are going to be some people that's going to close directly because of COVID-19. But there are going to be a lot of other people that's going to close not solely because of COVID-19. It's going to be because of things before COVID-19 that COVID-19 exposed and gave the death blow to. And so... We're in the middle of it now. 
And so what I've been talking to people about is, you know, we can't undo what's been done. But what we can do is now that we know that it's here and that this can happen, how do we move forward? I was talking to uh, a business owner a few days ago and I said, hey, do you do online? And they said, well, we can do online for you. And I was like, okay, but no, like not just me. Like I appreciate that y'all going to send stuff to me. But what about if you do it? Full scale, not just to me, but to other customers, because we have states like Virginia that is on lockdown until June 10th. If you have a product that normally this is your prime time to sell, like for many food trucks, this is the season, March to like end of October, creeping on the first part of November is usually food truck season. So this is a huge hit to that particular industry. I'm also thinking of other industries that are seasonal, that cater around certain fruits or certain vegetables that come out at a certain season. I'm thinking about certain dessert shops, you know, that they peak best. They may be, you know, open year round, but they peak during the summer. I don't want this to drag on any longer because I got places to go and food to eat and people to see. But (laughs) but if it is still here this summer. Right. You got to think about what necessary uh, precautions you can take in terms of safety. Yes, but also so that you can also protect your revenue. What type of online streams are you investing into? What type of delivery services can you invest in? Because the truth of the matter is, um, you know, I go to Purdue University. So our president sent out an email and it was a video note this morning and said that, you know, we, they're putting together a task force to think mm-hmm. about how they can make the university uh, safer and that he came flat out and said, we're not going to return back to normal as we once knew it to be. So now we have to rethink everything from dining facilities, dorms, right. classrooms, like all that type of stuff. We have to rethink this because in the fall, you're going to have flu season. Corona may rear his head, you know. So we know now that it's coming right. or that it at, at bare minimum. We've got to reimagine delivery of service. We've yes. got to reimagine delivery of service. And, and uh, so uh, if I may, yeah, uh, I told you that myself as a business owner, uh, I assess and we are adapting and I was listening to you talking, I'm thinking, and uh, as I said, I don't have a business partner to, to, you know, walk over ideas with and what have you. So uh, I will uh, unveil to your audience, to you right now, that COVID-19 has definitely made us step back, adjust our model. I had reimagined delivery of service or going to a different type of delivery of service prior to and had kind of thought this model out in my head and which is why when you know this hit why I went to what what I'm doing now which is delivery only social media online ordering delivery only uh and that was done out of necessity we came into covid-19 as a food truck food trailer and I expect that we're going to come out looking differently 
will still operate the food truck and still have that part of the business model. But uh, COVID-19 actually has in making me adjust my business model as I thought of, you know, new way, uh, a new way of delivery of service. I thought of a model in my head and didn't realize and it had a name I didn't know. And so I'll share it with you now. You may be familiar. You may not. I'll share it with your audience. Are you familiar with a cloud kitchen? Break that down. Okay, well, we're moving to a cloud kitchen. And what a cloud kitchen is, uh, it's a kitchen, but it's it's only a kitchen, but it's a restaurant. It's a full restaurant online only. We'll probably have a few concepts, meaning uh, there'll be a couple of restaurants that uh, in appearance to the public will be separate restaurants. So there'll be a Raging Cajun and then uh, there'll be a Holy Smoke Barbecue. Okay, and then there'll be, you know, FED's Southern Kitchen. All right. Now, for each of those concepts, there'll be three menus. So if you decide, you know, you're in Dallas, Texas, you're in San Antonio and you want to get some barbecue. Oh, I heard about this place called Holy Smoke. Let me look it up. Boom. I go on Google Holy Smoke. Oh, okay, here it is right here. And I can go onto their website. Menus on the website, I can order directly online, and then I can have a choice. I can have it delivered, or I can go pick it up. That's my choice. Oh, I want some Cajun food. I can go on Raging Cajun. I heard about Raging Cajun. Boom. Same same process, but guess what? One kitchen is putting out three different restaurants, all me. I have been seeing people on Twitter primarily uh, discuss cloud kitchens. I'm excited about this uh the the first thing that when I uh, met with the owners, they, you know, they immediately told me we're not a restaurant. We're not a food service company. We are a tech company. One of the original founders of Uber is the founder of this kitchen that I'm going to be a part of. Oh, so I'm seeing how Uber is diversifying because, you know, you had Uber with the cars. Then they did Uber Eats. And Uber Eats. So he, he bought Uber Eats over to the over to the cloud kitchen. With the cloud kitchen, what happens is they've got a space. They pay for spaces in large markets. Of course, you know they've got all the analytical data, to, and and they handle the marketing. They do they do the marketing. They set up the web page. They set up the the websites and the the menus online and what have you. What I do is I pay them. Uh, I bring equipment into it. They give me the kitchen space. It's it's a, a 400 square foot kitchen. I put my my own equipment in there, and I operate the kitchen. They give me monitors. They handle the front of the house. You can actually come into the facility and sit down and eat if you choose to. You can pick up, or it can be delivered. There will be about 30 restaurants operating in this kitchen, all separately. Every, every kitchen is, is individual and separate, but all housed in one space. And as I said, as a, a patron, you can you could walk in, choose a menu that you want to order from, or you can do it online and have it delivered or pick or you can pick it up. So what happens is when I get an order, they shoot me my order back, whether it comes through DoorDash, Uber Eats, whatever. They synchronize it all into one. I get the order into my kitchen. I prepare the order. I tap a button to say that the order is prepared. The driver, if it's a delivery, the driver is already there. They send they they send someone back to pick up the order, and the driver's there. They put it in the driver's hand. The order's out for delivery. 
just that simple. Or if it's a pickup, I hit the button, they they and they sit it up front, keep it warm until that person is there to pick up their order. I have to experience one of these. I have so many thoughts. I truly believe that it's the future. And, you know, I'm hoping to get in on the ground floor. I'm hoping that it's, it's going to be successful for us. You know, I believe in the tech world and people uh, within the tech world, they think differently and it's kind of, it's where we're going and you got to get on board. And, you know, so sometimes I'm kind of, I'm, I'm one of the last people to you know, fight technology, what have you, but uh, I also embrace it and, and recognize, you know, that uh, it is the future and the overhead on this is low uh, considering, as I said, we're adapting our business model. So I, I have wanted to do delivery and online delivery service in a major market. I have been in negotiation with a food truck park in Houston for a few months, uh, or longer than a few months. I'm waiting on a space. I'm just waiting for them to call me and tell me that they've got an empty space for me. And I'm, you know, going to outfit a a full-time trailer to put in in that market. Well, it would cost me uh, upwards of $50,000 to do that. The purpose would be to uh, have a a presence in that large market on a daily basis. And, you know, of course we would offer walk-up service to the truck, but more so uh, my plan was because we're in a commercial in a business community there near the gallery of Houston, that uh, it would be a lot of online ordering, whether it be online pickup or online delivery. But I thought that that would be the crux of the business because of the, where the, the vicinity of where the, uh, this, this food truck park is. Well, once I became introduced to the the cloud kitchen, it's kind of a no-brainer. I can do the same thing that I intended to do with way, way less the overhead, the initial overhead. It's going to cost me maybe about $10,000 rather than $50,000 to get operational in the same market. Wow. You know, I'm looking forward to having you come back on the show. <laughs> And we talk about it because, one, I want Rona to let up so I can slide through these uh, these cloud kitchens. I can have these egg rolls. I can have the brisket. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's just so much I want to do. Like I, like I said, beforehand, I didn't really have an after Rona bucket list. But now I do. I got to come down to Shreveport. I got to slide through Houston. Yeah, you got get to you, get you some buy you egg rolls or buy you quesadilla, get you a cowboy egg roll, uh, a Cajun cowboy burger, get you loaded brisket fries, swamp fries. Let me go around here and look at this menu, see what else I got on this menu. I don't remember all the stuff. I remember the burger. Yes. Now that you said it, I remember the burger. The Cajun cowboy. Yeah, mm-hmm. that one, that burger has won the best of the state fair two years running here in Louisiana. Actually, yeah, uh, cowboy rolls, bayou rolls, bayou quesadilla, cowboy quesadilla, oh, brisket grilled cheese, uh, I said tequila lime tacos. So we got a lot of stuff, and we waiting for you, so just let me know when you get you a plane ticket, and we're going to be ready. Well, look, I'm out of time, but I'm definitely not out of material. Once again, thank you for listening to yet another episode of the Food Truck Scholar Podcast. If you're someone in the food truck industry that would like to be on the show, or if you're a food truck foodie who has a recommendation of a food truck I should try, 
email me at Ariel, that's A-R-I-E-L, at thefoodtruckscholar.com. And make sure that you're following The Food Truck Scholar on all social media platforms, including Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. But until next time, I'm Ariel, The Food Truck Scholar, signing off and reminding you to eat local, buy local, and support your neighborhood food truck. I'll see you soon.